Well, it is great for uh, Robin and for me to be back after a couple of weeks away. We had a wonderful time with our family. It was a great blessing to see them and see our grandchildren. They're all growing, which is interesting. They're just different than they were before. So we experienced different children than we knew before when we saw them. So that was wonderful, a chance to spend time with them. We just had a great time. It doesn't mean that the trip went perfectly in every way. And so on the very first night of our holidays, we drove down to Portland, Oregon, and then we were going to be camping for the next uh, five nights at a lake that it's really a cool story, at least to me, because when Robin was a little girl, her parents used to take her to this lake and they would camp there and enjoy that lake. And it was about, it wasn't very far from their house, maybe 35 miles or something like that from their home. And then when our children were little, we had a chance to take them to the same lake. And so we would drive down from Victoria and we'd go to Portland to see her parents. And then we'd go out to the same lake and we would spend, uh, you know, wonderful times there with our children when they were little kids at the lake and camp there. And now this week or last week, we had a chance to take our grandchildren along with their parents to the lake and spend our time camping there. So there's, if you think about it, that's now four generations, Robin's parents, Robin, our kids, and our grandchildren that have enjoyed this lake over a period of years. And it's neat, because Robin and I aren't that old, so all of that's happened in about a 15-year span, which is really cool. Uh, but it's, it, was, it was really, a, really a, a, a wonderful blessing. But our first night, when we drove down to Portland, and we spent the first night in a motel, and then we were picking up a travel trailer and towing it out to the lake the next day. And the first night in the motel, our car got broken into. And so all of our camping stuff... Uh, It just turns out that the motel that we stayed in was right next to the Sandy River, which is on the east end of Portland, and that riverbank is not developed at all. And so because it's not developed at all, there are homeless people who live all over that bank, and it's like uh, 200 meters from the motel. And so I'm quite confident that some homeless person went by our vehicle, looked inside and said, these people look like they might be camping, and decided that they would break into our vehicle. So they broke in. They, took, they actually took about $2,500 worth of stuff uh, by the time you consider iPads and things like that that were in my briefcase. The worst thing, though, the worst thing that we lost was my Bible because my Bible was in um, our, my briefcase. And so they took the briefcase and they took my Bible. Um, many of you know Steve Mann from Victoria. Steve Mann gave that Bible to me as a gift in 1988 Uh, as a a one-year anniversary gift from our first trip to Africa. So we'd gone to Africa in 1987, and then when November rolled around in 1988, Steve gave me that Bible, and he inscribed it, you know. And and I've been preaching and teaching from that same Bible for the last 30 years, uh, since 1988. All my notes, 30 years of notes in the margins of that Bible are gone. So what I'm hoping is that the person who took it, of course, will open up that briefcase... I don't care what they do with the Carl Bart volume that was in there. They can throw that away. But I'm hoping that they can read my Bible and maybe get something out of it. Who knows? So if you have nothing else to pray about this week, pray that somebody's going to read my Bible and be blessed by it. Either that or pray that somebody finds it and decides that they'll look up Kelly Carter on the web and send it back to me because I would really enjoy that as well. I've already got a new Bible that I'm ordering and... uh, and I'll be fine, but boy, I'm going to miss that. I, the, the thing that I'm really going to miss, honestly, about the Bible more than anything else, I, I will miss the notes and all of that. But what I'm going to miss most, and I think you'll get this, is that I can't pass it down to my kids. And I can't give it to my grandchildren. And I would want those grandchildren to have an opportunity to read my Bible and its notes. And they won't get a chance to do that. It kind of breaks my heart.
But the Lord is good, and he's going to bless us. And, uh, you know, it's all just stuff. Uh, you know, it's all just stuff in so many ways. There was a blanket in there, too, by the way, that uh, Robin's uh, mother had quilted for Ryan when he was a little boy, and that was taken as well. So we lost a couple of things that were re- really meaningful to, it, to us. The rest of it, uh, it's just things, and they can be replaced. Anyway, let me lead us in prayer. Lord, I'd pray that you'd bless us this morning as we uh, consider some of your word. Bless us, Father, as we read scripture together, as we pray together, as we worship and praise together. Help us to, through all these efforts, to know you better, to love you better, to serve you better. Help our hearts to be melted uh, by your word and the way in which Jesus ministered to people. Help all those things to change us and help us to be the people that you really want us to be. We pray these things through Jesus. Amen. Well, it's, it's certainly the case that in our scientifically aware and scientifically kind of dominated culture, it's interesting that even in that culture, people are still interested in the occult and in evil. Like, in fact, there's a lot of people who may not be so interested in God, per se, may not believe in Him at all, but lots of people, despite not believing in God, still believe in the forces of evil. And so it's interesting how many people go to movies that are essentially evil at heart. In, in fact, evil in the sense that some of them are horror pictures devoted toward engaging people with that which is evil. I can remember, and some of you who are old enough, you'll remember too, The Exorcist. Do you remember the furor that happened when the Exodus came out? The way that that impacted so many people? The way that so many people were caught up in the events of that movie? And then I remember The Omen. The Omen, and I think there's been a remake of it in not too distant past here. But The Omen was quite a movie as well. And it was all about the evil forces. In fact, it was about Satan and about uh, his attack on a Catholic priest and on a Catholic church. It was, it's amazing the way that people get caught up in these kinds of things. And then those kinds of, of movies and games now, of course, so many games are oriented in that kind of direction, and they're oriented toward getting our children caught up in those kinds of things. Children's games that are oriented toward things that are actually quite evil. In fact, you could say quite demonic in the way that these things uh, represent themselves. And it's really unfortunate that our society has kind of gone in the direction, and I don't know that it's lessening. I would imagine that it's probably increasing rather than, than lessening as time goes on. People's interest in those kinds of things. And again, happening right in the midst of a culture which is kind of scientifically oriented, very rational, logical, historical, and then at the same time interested in all these kinds of things. Well, that's been happening, of course, for a while. And all of it represents a, um, an exposure and an influence from things that many times Christians themselves don't think much about. Like sometimes we talk about spiritual warfare, but really that's not on our minds all the time. And when something bad does happen, a break-in of someone's car, when something bad does happen, it's not your first thought, oh, well, something evil is at work here. 
You know, I, I actually thought to myself, well, some homeless guy looked in there and saw a sleeping bag and a camping stove and some propane bottles, etc., etc., and said, boy, this looks like a deal. And he broke in. But I didn't think to myself, there's something evil about this. When in fact, there is something evil about that. Whenever sin occurs, not just in that way, but in all kinds of ways, when sin is present, evil's present. That's just a fact. And when we sin, I'm convinced that Satan himself's happy about that. That he enjoys, in fact, putting us in a position where we will be more likely to sin. And so we don't think about this very often. And I have to admit, when I sin, I don't think to myself the way Flip Wilson used to say, the devil made me do it. I don't think in those terms. Instead, I normally just think of my own weakness a decision that I've made, I don't normally think in terms of the satanic forces that could be, in fact, impacting my life. It's just not something that we think that much about. But again, they've been around for a while. We've been thinking about this for a long time as human beings, even in a so-called rational culture. In 1692, Cotton Mather, and you think 1692 is a long time ago, but the fact is, is that by that time, there had been already a lot of scientific, logical kind of impact in our world. Cotton Mather was a Boston preacher He had graduated from Harvard with honors, and he, along with some others, roused people up against witches in Salem, Massachusetts. Robin and I went there a few years ago and did a little tour of Salem and what went on there with the witch hunts. Nineteen persons were hanged. 150 were imprisoned because of the testimony of children who were supposed to be demon-possessed. In the presence of the accused, these children would throw fits. They would go into what seemed to be a trance, and in this state, they would name people who they said were responsible for their suffering. Though many of the accused showed a spirit and a faith worthy of being Christian martyrs and not just killed as sinners... The judges, who were actually men of personal integrity, pronounced them guilty. And, of course, they were hanged, burned at the stake, those kinds of things. All because people were so intent on dealing with and being influenced by, they were being influenced, I think, by evil. Isn't it interesting that Christians killed people that they called witches in the name of trying to eradicate evil and the acts of the devil, and yet wouldn't we all say that those judgments on their parts were in fact the acts of the devil? And yet they did those very things. Well, it shouldn't surprise us that these kinds of things happen in the world because, again, they've been going on for a long time, at least since the time of Jesus. I want you to see something here. If this works for me, come on now. Perfect. Jesus and demon possession. You'll see all these passages on there. Some of these are parallel passages, and I put them all on one line. I put this up not because I think you're all going to look these up real quick, but because if somebody wanted to take a picture, they could. These are the places in the New Testament where Jesus, specifically in the Synoptic Gospels, deals with demon possession. Either he deals with it himself, some kind of demon act of demon possession, he deals with somebody who's demon-possessed, or it talks about Jesus uh, dealing with demon possession. It'll just say, and Jesus was casting out demons or something like that. Thirteen times in the New Testament, it says that Jesus was dealing with this particular subject. That's a lot. Thirteen times 
It specifically talks about Jesus dealing with demon possession in some way. Clearly, Jesus himself took this seriously. We read in the book of Acts about exorcisms, about how the early church did exorcisms, casting out demons just the way Jesus had done. And in fact, there are constantly claims made today in Christian contexts about possession by various demonic spirits concerning also the casting out of demons. Now, this is interesting because we don't deal with this. This is not our world. In the whole time that I've been in ministry, which is a long time now, I have never, ever been asked to cast out a demon in a situation that I took seriously. Now, I've I've faced some situations that I didn't take seriously where people said, there's a demon in me. I had a lady who... uh, came when I was in Victoria. She would come regularly to the office to see me, uh, at least for a while. And her claim was that every night at midnight, a demon would come to her room and do indecent things to her. Now, I suppose it's possible that she was being abused. Um, I, you know, I don't know all the things that were going on in her life, but I can tell you how I took that. I took that as mental illness. I was quite convinced that she was simply mentally ill. And in fact, she would also tell me how she spoke in tongues in church on Sunday. And I found this very incongruous, that this lady was both being possessed by a demon and on Sunday mornings was speaking by the Spirit of God in the Spirit in a way that I think was a benefit to her life. What's going on there? That's a strange circumstance, an odd one for sure, and I have to admit, I don't know exactly what to do with that. Recently, there was a publication produced by the Missionary and Alliance Church. Uh, The publication is called uh, Connection, in which an Alliance member talks about how she went to a spiritual uh, encounter weekend. And during the course of the weekend, uh, she became convinced that there were a couple of demons inside her. And so she actually had these demons uh, cast out during the course of this spiritual encounter weekend. It's interesting. She named the demons, or someone else named them for her. One of them was named Luther. Does that seem strange to you? I found that odd, that a demon would be named after the greatest reformer in the history of Christianity. That was a little bit weird. Um, The second name was Dagon, which I also found odd. What is Dagon? Where does that come from? Comes from the Bible. The Philistines had a god named Dagon that they worshipped. Now, it's possible, I suppose, that there could be some demon out there who takes on the name of Martin Luther. It's possible that some demon takes on the name of an ancient uh, Philistine god. I suppose those are possibilities. But it struck me as odd. It It struck me as strange. And again, I have to admit, I simply don't know what to do with all of that. So I don't have all kinds of solid answers for you today about this whole subject. What I do have are some things that I see in Scripture that teach me about what I think we should be thinking about demon possession, and specifically the ways in which we should be responding to it, because as much as I might want to just kind of avoid this and go past it and act like Jesus didn't deal with it much, He did. In fact, He dealt with it a lot. And they were constantly bringing to him demon-possessed people, and he was having to deal with these demon-possessed people. So here are some things that I think we should be thinking about this this morning. First of all, 
we need to take the presence of evil more seriously than we typically do. And again, I think we kind of give lip service to this. We will talk about Satan's presence. We will talk about evil doing things. But it's not on our minds all that much. I have to admit to you, it is not on mine. I don't wake up every day or come to the office every day and think to myself, wow, I'm in a battle here. I'm in a warfare against something evil. I I don't. When someone comes in here who uh, is uh, on drugs, when someone's addicted and they come in here, I I don't first think to myself, man, this person's under the influence of Satan. Instead, I think to myself, this person is addicted to drugs. They probably have had a really hard life. And I minister to them, hopefully, in good ways because of what I see happening in their lives. But I don't first think about the evil forces that are present and standing behind all the things that are happening to them in their lives. And I think I should. I think I should. Look at this passage. Our struggle... It's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's a pretty powerful and direct statement about the ways in which those evil forces have potential to influence us. It says our struggle is against these things. I typically go exactly the opposite of this passage. It says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, and typically I think it is. But Paul says it's not. It's not against the rulers, against the authorities. It's against this dark world in many ways. Those things do influence us. I have no doubt about it. But we tend to take the dark forces, the dark world, spiritual forces, and kind of push that to the side. And I think that that's a mistake. So we have to, I think, not be naive and not be uh, gullible in either direction, in thinking that Satan is standing directly behind every action, nor thinking that none of this has to do with him. I think that evil is a force in our world that does influence. That doesn't mean that I run scared all the time, but I at least, I think, need to be aware more than I am. Now, again, I have to admit, I still wrestle greatly with this. I am a product of my age. I tend toward the skeptical side. So as you hear me saying these things this morning, don't think to yourself, our preacher is going to be uh, carrying a cross in front of him as he walks into the church building tomorrow morning and is looking for demons behind every corner. Like, that's not going to happen. I am a little bit skeptical about this. I have more of a rational scientific approach to all of this than I have a spiritual welfare, warfare kind of approach. Uh, but at least I've got to be thinking about this. More so than I have, more so than I do, and so I want to be careful. There was one time uh, on a Sunday evening in Victoria when I was preaching, and I was talking about some of these kinds of things, and we had a psychiatric nurse in the audience, as we actually do today as well. And I made the comment in front of, and I said it directly to her, I said, There must have been times when you encountered situations that seemed to you like they were more than just mental illness. As a Christian, there must be times in your career when, as a psychiatric nurse, you face situations where you thought to yourself, this person really has got something demonic going on in their lives and not just mentally ill. And from her seat, she said to me, no, ruin my sermon. 
But it was fascinating. I really did expect her to say yes. I thought she would say yes. There have been many times when I thought to myself, there is a demon in this person. And she didn't. And folks, I don't know what to do with that. So I'm moving on to point two. (laughs) Out of compassion and love and in great faith, we need to minister in the name of Christ whenever evil is present in someone's life. I don't have time to read all the incidents in the Bible this morning, but I want you to turn to Matthew 17 if you would. And I just want us to see Jesus doing something here out of compassion. It's on page 694 if you're using the Bibles underneath the pews or underneath the seats. Verse 14. This is immediately following the transfiguration. Jesus has just experienced being on the Mount of Transfiguration. He is on a place on a mountain where Moses and Elijah come to be with him. And he, he is confronted with a spiritual reality which is so good. And then he comes down from the mountain. And it's not just metaphorical. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He's an epileptic. And it's interesting that they would use this word in the Bible. He's an epileptic and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire, into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus, and the Bible doesn't say healed him of epilepsy. It says Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed from that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, you have faith as small as a mustard seed. You can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Jesus here actually casts out a demon. He does so powerfully with incredible authority. But I think he does this because of his compassion. He is at this point a little bit fed up, at least with his disciples and their lack of faith. But when he sees this boy going into the fire and being cast around by this demon, he heals him. And he's got a lot on his mind. He's just had this incredibly spiritual experience. He comes down and now he has a very worldly kind of experience with unfaithful people. But he still takes the time to treat this person well and to heal them, no doubt, because he loves them. There is an interesting line here by the play. You'll see in, in some of the other synoptics, it'll say this, one, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. Jesus himself apparently expects that with some real prayer and some real fasting that the people who are working in his name can actually cast this demon out. And he expects them to, I think because he expects them to have the same kind of compassion and care for people that he had. Um, some of you might remember there was a book several years ago talking about uh, how Christians are always burdened by others. Like people always come to us and they bring us their burdens and how do we respond? In fact, there was a whole vocabulary that, was, uh, that developed about EGRs, people of extra grace required. And you know, I deal with people of extra grace required all the time. Three of them on the staff. I deal with people all the time, 
extra grace required kind of people. And in fact, sometimes I'm one of those persons where some extra grace is required when you deal with me. Just ask Robin. But God is good and he blesses us and he gives us the ability to work with people in compassionate ways just as Jesus did, even when he perceives that in the life of this one there is something evil. And he still loves and brings compassion and blesses and heals and we need to do the same kind of thing. Third, we need to recognize and believe what is said in several places in which Jesus gives his disciples authority over demons and they then exercise that authority. In Luke chapter 9, in Luke chapter 10, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sends out the 70, or he sends out the 12. And he wants them to minister in his name and do the same exact kind of things that he does. And he specifically says to them, go cast out demons. Now, somebody might say, well, that was for the 12, it was for the apostles. Well, what about the 70? He expects them to be living in our world, dealing with evil right where it is. And while you're dealing with it, to deal with it in grace and with love and compassion as he does with the boy, but still nonetheless to deal with it and to treat evil as evil and to actually in his name and with power and authority cast it out. He says to them, you have this authority. And it's fascinating, in Luke chapter 10, verse 17, you don't have to go there right now, but in Luke chapter 10, 17, the disciples, the 70, they come back and they say to Jesus, even the demons are listening to us. We are able to cast them out. And they were excited, almost bragging, not bragging really, but just claiming that something powerful was happening in the name of Jesus when they dealt with demons. And then fourthly, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. This is what I kept saying to the lady who came to me and said the demon kept coming to her and doing indecent acts to her in the middle of the night. I said to her, I find this so odd. You're saying to me that this is happening on the one hand, night after night at midnight in your life, and at the same time the Spirit of God is allowing you to speak in tongues in in a Christian service on Sunday morning. How can these things cohere? Because when I read Scripture, it says that greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. And if there's anything that speaks to me in that, it's the idea that God does have incredible power over these forces. And whatever the forces of evil are that somehow impact us in our lives, that God is there able to take the Christian and help them to defeat these things. And so there's no doubt somebody in our audience today, I I don't have any doubt about this, that you're thinking to yourself, Satan has a grip on me. Satan is doing something in my life. There's something that I cannot overcome. And it could well be an addiction. Something has got a grip on me and I can't get rid of this. I can't shake it. I can't overcome it. God, please help me. And yet we pray that and we suspect that really it's not going to be overcome. And what I want to say to you is that if Jesus Christ can cast out demons, if he can give authority to Christians to cast out demons, and if he can say to us, greater is he who is in you, and who's in us, folks? The Holy Spirit is. Jesus is in us. If Jesus is in us, if the Holy Spirit is in us, what power is there that could possibly 
do anything to us and control us and dominate us and seize us and possess us. I would say that when Jesus is in our lives the way that Jesus should be in our lives, possession, demon possession for Christians is simply an impossibility. You're not going to have Jesus and the Holy Spirit living fully within your life, acting powerfully within you, and at the same time, he's making a little bit of room for a demon in there too. That's not my impression. It's not the way that God seems to work with us. He empowers us. He even gives us authority over these things so that evil can actually be transcended. It doesn't mean that we don't sometimes allow sinful things, sinful thoughts, sinful actions to enter into our lives. No doubt about it. There are times when we are not as strong and full of the Spirit as we need to be. That's why Paul keeps saying to us, be filled with the Spirit. Because when we're filled with the Spirit, there isn't room for all these other things. But sometimes we hedge a bit. We need to not hedge. We need to allow the Spirit to be fully within us. And then the one who is greater, who is in us, is greater than he who is in the world. And then lastly, I wanted to say this. Nothing, and certainly nothing grounded in the demonic, can separate us from God. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 8. I just want to read these verses, verses 31 through 39, some page 801. I'm not a once saved, always saved kind of guy. I'm not a Calvinist. I don't believe absolutely that we are saved, period, that we can't ever lose our salvation. I think it's possible for a person to sin and to sin greatly, to sin to the point where they actually sacrifice the life they have in Jesus. I think that's possible. But these verses in Romans 8, chapter 31 and following are pretty powerful. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he, will, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm not going to say foolishly, let the demons come. I'm not sure that would be very wise. But when the forces of evil in our world are attempting to get to those of us who stand in Jesus, we have a message, the message of the gospel, that simply allows us over these things to triumph. And we can in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your presence 
right now. You're with us here. There's a sense in which you're protecting us here right now. But it's not just here, of course, God. It's all the time. You fill us with your presence. You bless us with your Holy Spirit. Jesus, you come and live within us yourself. You say you are in us, and we believe you. And so we trust absolutely in you. We put ourselves in your hands. And when the forces of darkness in our world, which we believe are present, come and face us, we pray that you'll help us not just to to be more than conquerors. You've made us that. But help us to realize that we are more than conquerors. And then help us to take this, this wonderful power and even authority that we have over evil, according to your word, help us to take that into our world and where we encounter evil and death in every form. Help us to counter that with the goodness of you and your spirit and help us to powerfully proclaim and influence our world with the kingdom and the goodness that is there in you, God. We know we can do this through you, and we thank you today for that through Jesus. Amen.